This episode is sponsored by a donor to Global Wellness Institute, or GWI. GWI is a 501c3 nonprofit organization with a mission to empower wellness worldwide by educating the public and private sectors about preventative health and wellness. GWI's research, programs, and initiatives have been instrumental in the growth of the $4.5 trillion U.S. dollar wellness economy and in uniting the health and wellness industries. Visit globalwellnessinstitute.org. On this episode, we have Dr. Suki Mukher. Suki rebounded from leaving home at 14 and attempting suicide at the age of 18 to become a chiropractor and healer. He now runs a thriving wellness and healing practice called the Center for Optimal Living, aiding the launch of burgeoning chiropractors. He also competes in Ironman competitions and has run 100-mile marathons. He is also CTO for Elysium, a nootropic product company. Suki, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, it's great to be here, Azim. Thanks for having me. I've really been looking forward to this conversation because you really embody our tagline of mining the nonlinear path. Nice. And uh, it's just, it's amazing what you've accomplished uh, after all that you've, you've been through. So to, to dive into it, you were born in Scotland, but came to your home city of Vancouver at a young age. Tell us about that. Yeah. So, you know, my family was originally from India and my dad being the eldest. um, So my, my grandfather, grandmother, his parents, they went through partition um, originally from India and Punjab, but they were on the Pakistani side of partition and they were farmers. Was it Lahore or nearby? Yeah. Yeah. So they had to leave everything, come back into Punjab and kind of start over. And that's relevant because my dad was the eldest of four children. So the moment, and so they didn't have much, my dad's, you know, first decade and a half of life, literally, you know, just scraping by because they did have to start over. They had to give up all their land and everything. They couldn't get new land. And, you know, there was a, a big transition in India after, you know, the British rule to partition to Indian rule and India was just figuring things out. But when my father was 16, my grandfather had a connection and somebody laid out an opportunity for my father to go to Britain, Scotland, to, you know, get a job, education, and, you know, be able to send money back so then his three siblings could go to college, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. My father left home when he was 16 years old. and went to Scotland and pretty much had to figure life out without parents and by himself, um, you know, from the bottom and, you know, eventually, you know, got himself an education, got himself jobs, sent money back. And uh, my parents met at their wedding ceremony in Scotland, (laughs) Uh, you know, arranged marriage, (laughs) you know, arranged in India. She was on a plane, go to Glasgow, you're meeting your husband. Um, I have an older brother. So eventually my brother and I were born. And then when I was three years old, my father had the opportunity to come to Canada. He came here and, uh, we, he moved to, he came to Vancouver to check out a job opportunity. He loved Vancouver so much. He actually didn't even return. And four months later, we sold everything we had in Britain. My mother, my brother and I were on a plane. 
Um, for me, it'd been so long, you know, being three, three and a half years old, I actually didn't even recognize my father at the airport at YVR in Vancouver. Wow. Like, Who's that man? I said to my brother, my brother was like, I think it's dad. <laughs> um, you know, so, but anyway, so when we came here and came to Vancouver again, you know, my father was starting over again, but you know, he's pretty comfortable, you know, so many lessons I learned from my father in that his resiliency, his grit, his willingness to roll up his sleeves and provide. And uh, he had a job here. He, he worked in the textile industry. Sure. The factory that sponsored him, that brought him here, actually went under. And then the only jobs available for him were on the eastern part of Canada, which was Ontario, Quebec. He traveled there. He went in the middle of January and he'd never seen snow like that before. And it's like, oh my goodness, I cannot, you know, here's this Indian man. It's like, I can't live in this. You know, maybe if he went in August, he would have had a different opinion, but he went in January. He's like, it's too cold, too much snow. I can't do this. So, you know, for years I saw my father, you know, do everything like selling vacuums door to door. And, you know, there was times where there wasn't food on the table. And, you know, I, I was, I was raised, I spent time, you know, we lived in a hundred square foot attic with a three and a half foot ceiling. So wow. coming from the humblest of beginnings yeah. from a child to parent standpoint, I have a saying, Azim, I say that children are either parented or parented and mm -hmm. how I can articulate that. Now I have daughters that are seven and four years old. If a parent has a connection with their child, the child grants the parent the opportunity to guide them and direct them through life. I call that parented. If that doesn't occur, by default, the child doesn't even know this, they become parented. Right. They learn life through their peers, the people they go to school with, the people on their streets. And so, the challenge my parents had was I know they were in fight or flight because they were in survival, just trying to make ends meet. They both worked long hours in the factory. You know, I could remember when, you know, I was four years old, my brother was seven. And I remember being the summer, my brother's home from school. You know, my parents would leave before they have, they'd work from 8 a.m. to like, 7 p.m. every single day, long hours in a factory, and my brother and I were home by ourselves. Wow! You know, I'm four, my brother's seven, and then I didn't I didn't learn this till actually in the last couple of years. The you call it in the state zip code in Canada, we call it postal code. Postal code yeah. But I was raised in the poorest, most challenging postal code in my country. Wow. So, you know, that comes with a set of veils, you know, we're talking crime, violence, addictions, and, and that sort of frequency, if yeah. you will. My parents did their best trying to raise a very um, energetic <laughs> child with values and ideals that they were imposing that were based on India. Yeah. And because of that, I didn't grant them that right of parenting me. Right. I was like, oh, these people are clueless. You know, yeah. at home, we ate different food. Right. We spoke a different language. But essentially, I created a perceptual lens that was like, if you become a certain person, 
meaning strong, tough, in this environment, you acquire these material things, people like you, you're popular, you're cool, and life is awesome, right? right? That, that's, that's the sort of mindset that I started to develop. You left home at 14. So yeah. like a buildup to that as an inflection. And then, you know, the very poignant um, reveal about how you were suicidal at 18. You know, I got into drugs when I was about 11 years old. You know, by the time I was 12 years old, I was staying out till midnight, 1 a.m. I was up to no good. First time I was arrested was 12 years old. You know, it got to the point getting close to my 14th birthday when my father just said, you're so out of control. I don't know what to do with you. The next time the cops call, I'm just going to say, just put him in jail. Like I ended up leaving home when I was 14 years old. Um, and, you know, what do you do? You couch surf on your friend's homes until eventually there's no more friends' homes to stay at. And, you know, I found myself wandering streets, sleeping on park benches at 14 years old and thought, man, like, and I saw these homeless people who were, you know, anywhere from a decade to several decades older. And I just said, Azim, I'm not going to become that. Good. And so I just literally dove into, you know, how do I provide for myself and really dove into that sort of, other side of the fence, darker world, and got involved in that sort of scene, if you will, and made a lot of poor decisions, but I was able to put food on the table. I eventually got my own place mm. and started to, the funny thing was develop traction in that world within what I created in my mind was, hey, when I have these things on the outside, then I'll be happy. And I'll feel, I'll be cool and people will love me and people will acceptance. And then that's my biggest piece is that we, our fundamental need within every human being is to feel loved and accepted. Years where I was on drugs every single day because I was so disconnected, not whole, so unhappy with my circumstances. I constantly needed that fix from the outside to feel happy and complete on the inside. That created anxiety. Got to a point where I couldn't leave the house without a loaded gun, um, depression, I started to get suicidal. Um, ultimately, when I was 18, I had an overdose. And on the verge of that overdose, I got to a point where I just didn't want to be here anymore. And I tried to take my own life. And I share this in my book, Beyond Body, Beyond Mind, that it was a failed suicide attempt because in that overdose state, I forgot to turn the safety clip off on the gun. I couldn't figure out, I, but I tried to pull the trigger several dozen times. Oh my goodness. But I just couldn't, you know, I forgot about the safety clip. So what a gift, right? Well, <laughs> we all feel lucky that you did that because we get to hear about this experience and all the amazing things you've done since. So after trying to go through the motions of that, there was just more of me that wanted to stay here and less of me that wanted to leave. You know, I hit rock bottom where I spent almost three months in a completely catatonic state. I was in a bed. I went back home to my parents. Um, they, you know, very lovingly accepted me, asked no questions, let me back in their home. And, you know, going, putting on a pair of jeans and a sweatshirt and making it to the bathroom within those three months was a good day. Amazing.
Um, so like when, you know, people come to me with symptoms, sickness, disease, I had a mind that didn't function, that couldn't think straight. I had a body with extreme, extreme chronic fatigue. Um, it was, you know, I wouldn't wish it upon anyone. And having gone through that and that experience has been my greatest gift because it planted the seed within me. I'd always been athletic my whole life. I was always a sportsy kind of guy. But I really wanted to understand, you know, how our minds work, how our bodies work. And see, I was, my parents were uh, Sikh religion and raised me very religious. But because it came from them, mm. I was like, yeah. I fought it. <laughs> I understand that well. But, but, but the deal is they planted so many seeds. So I was like, what is this elusive thing called the human spirit? And, you know, eventually I could get out of the house. I go for a walk down the street and then I start roaming the streets. Eventually I found myself, you know, going to, you know, we're going back here now. What year would that have been? That would have been the early nineties at a public library. See, here's the problem. Here's a problem with our nervous system and perception system. You see, the environment I was raised in, Azim, that was like a, you know, three to five mile radius. And that world existed in that three to five mile radius. The challenge is when you're in the middle of that radius, you think planet Earth is like that. Yes. You don't realize that if you get in a car and drive 10 miles there, there's a totally different world going on over there. Yeah, no, it's exposure, and you weren't really exposed to anything but that. I wasn't exposed to any of that. And you thought that that's all you had to live for, and you thought that's not very interesting. Exactly. I did grade 9, grade 10, grade 11, grade 12 in 16 months of night school. From that, I actually still don't have a high school diploma. I love that. I got myself into university, college. I spent 11 years in post-secondary school. I got a few different degrees. I wanted to understand why I made the choices I made, how I ended up where I ended up. And, you know, and I'll be brutally honest, like a big part of my issues was I was on drugs for like a decade of my life. And when I went to the doctors who do their best with what they know, they wanted to put me on more drugs. <laughs> Here's what an 18-year-old high school dropout said from a place of common sense. You know, it was drugs that got me here. Yeah. I don't really understand how more drugs are going to get me out of here. Yeah. And, and for that reason, I didn't take the drugs. Smart. And yeah. that's really when I was going through night school, I was reading books on physics and quantum physics I wanted to be a personal trainer. So, you know, I studied exercise science at university eventually. And then my whole understanding really delved into diving into neuroscience, why we do what we do, our perception system, what's occurring at a cellular level, and then on my own to really make sense. Because even though I had a great education from university, it still gave me post-hope explanations of treating the effects of symptom sickness disease mm -hmm. it wasn't getting into fundamental what's causing this and it didn't answer the questions i had about my personal journey yeah well it's yeah. kind of like um your path to becoming a healer was very much a voyage of self-discovery you wanted to understand Completely. at what point did you decide to go to chiropractic college 
I didn't accept and I didn't love myself all through my 20s when I was in university. Privately, I was, I was seeking the services of all these holistic healthcare practitioners to heal myself. And so what got me interested in, in chiropractic was really understanding that the potential energy within our nervous system, the amount of electricity that flows through our nervous system has enough potential energy to power a large city with 3 million people for an entire month. Whoa. There is that much life force flowing through there. And I realized through my physiology class that the nervous system is responsible for how every cell, tissue, organ functions. And it's a connection between brain and body and the flow of that electricity. We're electrical beings. And I realized all the choices I was making my first two decades of life was slowing down that electrical flow, less life force, less life expression. And so I chose chiropractic school because I thought it was going to cultivate and deepen that understanding. Um, it gave me a great foundational education in anatomy, physiology, but I'll say it was still very mechanical and very mechanistic. So right to the point where I'd actually, you know, applied to med school, I got accepted to medical school to carry every school I accepted to. So I literally sitting there, I remember in, um, late 90s, 1999, with these multiple accepting letters. I studied hard in school. I graduated on, with honors, distinction, on the dean's list, clinical honors, because I didn't study for grades. As the, I studied to acquire information, knowledge, and wisdom. And when you come from that place, you don't care about doing well on a test. You care because you have the desire to be in the know. So I was a meticulous student. I spent, all I did was was study, work, and do my best to heal and take care of my body. That was my life for over a decade. Um, so again, even at chiropractic college, I had to augment. So like professionally, I've never practiced as a stereotypical chiropractor. I've always worked with those electrical impulses, the bioenergetics of it. You know, I've developed techniques called neural integration activation, which have to do with seven neurological centers and the flow of that electricity flow through it. I'm grateful for my education because it gave me the foundation to understand mechanical Western sciences. And then it was quantum physics that really allowed me to understand Eastern philosophy and sciences. And I actually feel like I'm right in the middle, I feel like I've taken the best of both worlds to really synthesize a worldview and understanding and I'm still asking powerful questions. I feel like I have the edge to really understand the causes of what ails a lot of people, the human experience, if you will, and really addressing those. Um, yeah, I think it's one of your greatest traits, Sufi, and we've talked in the past about how you're a follower of uh, Fritz Albert Pop and some of his teachings. Right. Yeah. So just, you know, really understanding that. And, you know, if, if I can sort of talk about the nervous system and patterns as it relates to my journey and people's journey. And so when I understood that everything is made of atoms and everything's made of protons, electrons, and neutrons, and it is the frequency of those subatomic particles that determines the level of organization of matter, 
my life completely changed and how like, you know, how I can work with somebody who's tried everything that has a terminal illness and actually get them to the other side of it and saying, I didn't treat that person, but I was able to help them activate the self-healing, self-regulating organism that they are. So my big epiphany came for me, Azim, when I said, we don't need to figure out how to treat symptom sickness, disease, illness. We just need to get this technology that lives within every human being to do its job the way it's been designed to do. We transcend depression, anxiety. We transcend a stressful life. So that's been my dedication and focus is cultivating and nurturing that. That's amazing, uh, Suki. And your TED Talk does a brilliant job of talking about being integrated. Yes. And yeah. so uh, share a little bit about that. Our nervous system is our perception system. Yeah. So what we see, what we smell, what we taste, what we touch, what we hear, that intuitive gut feeling, those six senses, Azim, is how our internal ecology and biology make sense of our outer world. Nice, yeah. As I said, everything within the universe from a quantum physics perspective is made up of subatomic particles. Therefore, every experience we have is a bunch of, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, or chemical, is just a bunch of atoms and particles. And if we allow for a moment, if you will, atoms and particles vibrate, so essentially there's experiences happening. And those experiences are just a bunch of atoms coming into my perception system, my nervous system. And the goal of my nervous system is to take those atoms and particles and also know that I'm made of atoms and particles and the level of frequency and vibration of my atoms determines the level of organization of my matter, my cells, tissues, organs, organ systems. So if I increase my subatomic vibrational matrix, I increase the level of organization, more health, more vitality, expanded consciousness, greater unity within the system, more wholeness. If I don't, there is a disconnection, a lower vibrational frequency. We have symptoms, sickness, disease, poor thinking, poor perception system. What I stumbled upon was a model for evolution and growth. Mm. We are biological, open, dynamic systems operating in a subatomic world. We take in subatomic vibrations from our experiences, and when we do that, we increase our level of complexity and organization. I call that integration. Nice. So my whole work has been, essentially, we've heard the term, what causes disease and illness? Stress. So then my question is, what does stress do? So then that's what led me down the journey of understanding atoms and particles and understanding that when we have stress, so my upbringing, a lot of stress, my perception system, anytime I have an experience, I don't process, it gets locked in one of seven neurological centers. That is like dissonance within the system. It's like carrying around a heavy weight, whether it happened 20 seconds ago, 20 minutes ago, 20 years ago, our nervous system doesn't know the difference between past, present, and future. So even if it happened 20 years ago, if it throws, if it's stressful, let's say, you know, me, trauma, my environment, 
And all of a sudden now I'm 18 years old and I had trauma when I was 10 years old. My nervous system thinks what I experienced at 10 is happening right now. Mm, It's going to release adrenaline, epinephrine, cortisol. It's going to put me in a sympathetic neurological state. It's going to put me in a place of fear. It's going to put me in a place of fight or flight. My cells and tissues are going to break down. My bandwidth is going to actually narrow. So I have less capacity, but here's the kicker. I now see through the lens of that experience. By the time the majority of people hit their late 20s and early 30s, Azim, all they're doing is pushing play on these neurological patterns that are based on yesterday. And all of a sudden, they keep creating more today of yesterday and therefore tomorrow. And that bandwidth gets smaller and smaller And we call this journey going down, decaying, breaking down, aging. And I call it prematurely aging because that doesn't have to happen. Um, That's great. I love the way you described that. That's so succinct and so just that's exactly what's happening. People are just repeating. Repeating, repeating. And, you know, I'll give you the flip side. You know, you know, my life is my experiment. And I, you know, I've always been an athlete and I always, I always wanted to push the elements, you know, many, many years ago, two decades ago, people told me, you know, you can't run a hundred miles, can't run a hundred kilometers, human body can't do it. So I was like, sure, did it. this. well, I became an ultra endurance athlete and I, I fell in love with it. I still do because it allows me to push the envelopes of what's possible. Um, you know, so like that's just uh, amazing. I mean, you're also an Ironman competitor. I mean, yeah, seven-time Ironman that. finisher. Uh, I've done hundred-mile ultra marathons. And when did I, you start doing that? Uh, I started doing these things. Uh, we're going back now, probably about 16, 17 years ago. I have all these devices, and I test. My life's an experiment. I can actually measure the metabolic age of my cells. And it actually tells me biologically how old my, my cells are, if you will. And I just told you I'm 46 years old. And actually last week, I've been doing some very, very you know, hardcore things to really allow my vitality to move through my system. And you know, I hit an all-time low. My, my cells measured uh, the metabolic biological age, age 13. Whoa. It's like 33 years. That's, below my chronological age yeah wow and it's like okay and you know i kind of wanted to move into my 50s with grace and flow and realize wow like that's possible and again that was something some of the leading you know biohackers physiologists say that's not possible because they say cause i don't believe in anti-aging i believe in aging gracefully we all age well to understand the point it's your the your metabolic functioning is that of a 13 year old 13 year old yeah it's not yeah. that your body necessarily has the age of a 13 year old exactly right. yeah so my body yeah so my biological functioning Suki, when did you decide to open the Center for Optimal Living? When I opened in 2003, it was not then what it is today. Um, Again, I knew what I understood about the body, but I wasn't sure how to facilitate it yet. Um, I didn't fully understand all the neurological centers. I didn't understand how people's bodies held unintegrated patterns. So it's like, my practice was truly a practice. <laughs> I was literally practicing on people to see if I start to put inputs into people's systems 
And this is all, it's a type of body work where you, very, you access very specific access points within the geometry of these neurological centers. And you see the kinetic flow through the system. And it was twofold. It was one working with people's systems. And the other piece was getting my nervous system and perception system more sensitive. And after about a decade of doing that, I had such a fundamental foundation. I then said, this is cool. I can now teach this to other people. That's right. um, Suki, uh, are your parents still with you? Absolutely, they are. And they live close by, we live about 20 minutes apart and we see them often and frequently. And it, when I could just love them, unconditionally yeah. that's really when our relationship started to thrive that's fantastic yeah. um how did you meet kate yeah uh kate that that was that was amazing so um kate's my wife by the way for those listening uh we just celebrated last year our 10-year anniversary we've been together for Congrats. 14 years thank you um you know it was interesting you know i had a number of relationships i'd spend a couple years by myself I said, I'm not going to date. Uh, I'm not going to get in a romantic relationship. I just, I just, I want to love and accept myself more because clearly I'm not cultivating and attracting because we are the creators of our universe, that woman into my life. Um, so I, that was about two years. And I said to a friend, you know, I met a friend who I went to university with, we went out for dinner together. And I said, you know, I'm really ready to meet my wife. I'm really ready to meet the woman that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. And this was Friday. And then he's like, oh, I got a site for you. And it was an online dating site. And I went through this whole process. And all of a sudden, you click favorites. I've literally got hundreds of women in my favorites. I'm like, well, this isn't going to work. So the next day, I totally go through people's profiles. And I'm just totally tuning in, see what comes up. And it actually got to Kate on Sunday, like one person. We ended up chatting on the phone every night for a couple hours for that entire week. We met at a Starbucks coffee shop, you know, be safe, make sure, <laughs> making sure I'm not crazy and vice versa. We went for a walk, Azim, and we were walking and we were walking on the seawall. There's a beautiful park called Stanley Park in Vancouver. And all of a sudden this big rush of energy came through me and through my body. And I had this epiphany and I looked at her and it was like, oh my God. I'm going to spend the rest of my life with this woman. Wow. And it wasn't amazing. I'm in love with her. You know, I think you're beautiful. It wasn't this last thing. It was like, Oh my God, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with this woman. Like she's it. I didn't say anything to her, of course, because she's going to think I'm crazy. My next thought was, well, I guess I better get to know her, <laughs> you know, Wise but, you know, that was the rest is history. Please share about uh, Elysian and your role as CTO there. Yeah, so you know, Elysian Sciences came to me with this mission of maximizing human potential. Um, we develop this beautiful product. It's a brain nootropic. It activates the higher centers of our brain just to get the neurotransmitters, neuropeptides, the synapses firing the way they are. I've developed a lot of educational content for the company, um, linked arms with the co-founders, um, Rod, who's our CEO, Rod Howe, uh, Paulo Ono, who's eight-time Olympian. He's another one of the co-founders. And when Apollo and I chatted, we spoke the same language. So we knew there was a synergy there. And they just kind of rolled out the red carpet for me to be 
to be a support and help, you know, grow the company and bring all my ingenuity into it. So it's been a beautiful experience, a lot of learning, but also a beautiful place where, you know, I've literally been able to scale. So just millions of people could really hear this message in a powerful way. That's fantastic. Suki, it has been so great to have you on this show. I feel like um, to do justice, we need like an eight hour miniseries to cover all the elements. Thank you, Azim. I appreciate that. Achieve is recorded at Subtractive in Hangar 8 at the Santa Monica Airport. Music is produced by Hennedy.